This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Turn to a better nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McCrae. Interest rate hikes, labor shortages, and rising input prices make headlines globally and are on the minds of many ag producers. What trends will continue, what's projected to change, and how can we prepare for what's ahead? Those are our topics for this week's Farm in the Countryside, brought to you by Pivot Bio. One of the biggest concerns for farmers, of course, are rising input prices, and at the top of many lists is nitrogen. Even with higher prices, you still need nitrogen, and in today's world, I'm always looking for ways to increase bushels while still using more sustainable farming methods. That's why I've used Pivot Bio Proven 40 on my corn for the past two seasons and will again this year. With Pivot Bio, I know my crops are getting the nitrogen they need, no matter the weather. And now that same predictability is available right on the corn seed. Pivot Bio Proven 40 on seed gives growers even more flexibility with their nitrogen plant. To learn more, just contact your local sales representative or go to pivotbio.com. Natalia Barr is Director of Corporate Economics at John Deere. As you'll hear in a moment, she has quite a story herself. Growing up in a place that would seem far removed from some of the large equipment that John Deere builds for farms around the world. Today she provides global economic projections for Deere, but also shares those insights when she speaks with agricultural audiences, as she recently did for the Top Producer Conference. She provided a look at where the economy stands, projections for a recession, and how some of those factors will impact the ag industry. Here's our conversation. Why don't you begin by just talking about your route to John Deere? Uh, because uh, you have an interesting story and then getting into the economist side of things yes, as well. Definitely, definitely. So um, I was born and raised in Thailand. And when you think of Thailand, you'll think about Bangkok or Chiang Mai, places like that. But I was born and raised right along the Mekong River. So that's kind of rural part of Thailand, right in the middle of the rice country. So I love agriculture um, since I grew up because as I was able to witness what's happening in Thailand. Before I left in 2002 to come to study Iowa State, that's how I get to um, to the U.S. and before I start working for John Deere. But back then, even in Thailand, where the, the, I saw rice farmers still plow their land using water buffalo to pull the plow. We, they were still harvesting using the crescent knife to harvest by hand. So I was able to first firsthand witness all of these changes that happened, how productivities could really be increased and how mechanization can really help change people's life in Thailand. So that's how I became to love agriculture. Uh, so that is interesting. So because of that heritage, if you will, then that influences what you do today and how you perhaps look at the world. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And having that perspective from different parts of the world in different crops and different technology sites really has been helpful for my, my work and also for my perspective as an economist. Was it a dream to work for John Deere, or how did that begin to happen? Because John Deere is, you know, the company known worldwide in agriculture. Absolutely. Beyond my dream, it's been a really great um, company to work for. The core value that we have, the integrity we have, and to always put our customers first and do everything to help um, providing value to our customers. So definitely has been a, a great, great career so far. 
So let's talk about the economy, and there's lots of different places we could go, but maybe first just give us the state of the U.S. economy. Where do we stand, and perhaps is it what we believe it is, or is there some misconceptions about where we're at right now? I, I would say this. Um, as we all know, that the inflation has been a problem to the eco- U.S. economy. You know, last year, the infl- inflation peaked at... Nine and at nine point one percent, that was almost forty year high, somewhere along there. So, so as a result of that, by design, we have seen the 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 Federal Reserve Bank has been increasing the interest rate rapidly to cool down the the inflation. So, I would expect that because of that, we would likely going to see some of the economic slowdown in the U.S. And um, so, consumer spending is gonna kind of taper off. We have already seen quite a bit of um, decline in the housing market as well. So, um, and labor market has been cooling off a little bit as well. So as we progress through the the rest of the year, I would continue to see that continue to cool down throughout the year. I know that this question is somewhat intertwined with the question you get a lot of, okay, are we headed to a recession and so forth? And some people have said, well, will we have a soft landing if we we could accomplish that? What are we seeing so far? Because you mentioned we're off the peaks so do we nosedive or do we have the soft landing? <laughs> so I'll first remind you that economists did forecast nine out of the last five recessions. So that's a good record that we have so far <laughs> as economists. So um, I will put it this way. If the Fed's able to accomplish soft landing, that would be great. But if not right now, I, with the probability of the U.S. economy running into recession over the next 12 months, is probably about 60%. So it's more than 50%. So we're more likely that we might be. But also, we want to point out that even if we are in the recession, it is likely going to be different than the last recession we saw. It's likely going to be more mild, more shallow, and also short-lived, as we were expect to see some of those slow down this year, but likely going to be some recovery in 2024. So it's definitely not the repeat of what we saw in the great financial crisis in 2009. Well, looking at some of the information that you share, I thought it was interesting talking about labor. We are already employing more people than we were pre-recession is that or pre-COVID is that right that is right that is right and I don't know what is what we call these what we will call these uh, labor hoarding because companies have seen how laborers are reshuffling quite a bit so I think the first we have companies trying to get laborers we can they might have to hire a little bit more just in case they were changing their jobs so they have some labor force there and second of all if you look at the participation rate, it is still below what it was before. So we have here, company wants more labor, but on the supply side, we still have about maybe 2 million people or more still stay off the sideline. So therefore, that's why we see this market continue to be too, too, pretty tight. But as we look into the rest of the year, as I mentioned, when we see the slowdown in the economy, that's going to help loosen the market up a little bit. So I think right now the Fed forecast to see labor unemployment rate climb from 3.5% to about 4.6% by the end of this year. When we look at labor, what have been the factors that have gone into that tight labor supply? Is it a booming economy? Is it people, I hear say, well, younger generation doesn't want to work, or the older generation wants to retire? What is it, or is it a mix of all these? Yeah, I, I think it would be a little bit of everything. So if, I, if we look at that number, kind of break it down a little bit by age, Let's see. Between the prime age of working prime age, I think most people are coming back to work. They might see some gap in men between 35 to 44. Those are lacking a little bit. But the majority of the lacking in the cohort coming back is the younger people between 16 to 25 and the older folks, 55 plus. So then either people will have a chance to think about their lives 
they might retire early or there's still some pockets of people who might going back to school or just I don't know. It is really hard for economists to figure out why they're not coming, but there are just probably a lot of different reasons. As an economist, when we think about COVID and we had this thing that completely disrupted us, are we going to come back to just where we at and keep on a trend line up, or did some things do you think change in a sense forever or for a long time fundamentally? Um, I think that's a great question, and I, I would probably point out that what happened in COVID might accelerate a lot of trends. Okay. For example, um, the trend of people working from home. That's probably going to come back a little bit, but that might be a permanent trend. People will be able to have that flexibilities. And also the trend of globalization. You might have seen some of the headlines talking about companies might be deglobalized or changing the way we supply chain works. So I think that might be something that is early to, to say, but over the long term, we're probably going to see some of those continue to be the trend there. In the U.S., of course, we see what we experience around us. I'm curious, are we seeing this in most other countries in the world with similar uh, types of trends? Are they steeper trends or, or, or deeper trends than here? What do we see globally? Yeah, um, let's pick a labor. I think labor is becoming a problem in many of developed countries. If you look at demographic, it's not just the U.S. Uh, people are aging, or we have our older population. That's also a similar situation in many developed countries in Europe, and the immigration problems or labor shortage is even more acute in the UK. You move over to to to, to China, they are for the first time seeing the population declining, right? So we therefore those are the the trend in aging population is probably not just us. So then going forward, things will be upon us to figure out how do we continue the growth with smaller population in many of the countries. Let's talk about agriculture then as we think about how this transfers over to agriculture. I'm sure there are positives and and minuses, uh, so to speak, with this. So what do we see for U.S. agriculture as we move into this year but also into future years? You know, despite all the economic slowdown in the U.S. and even probably recession in Europe and many parts of the world slow down there, I think ag is still the bright spot. And I'll, I'll, I'll say this, because if you look at the demand for crops, so that's grains and oil seeds, you look at USDA forecast there, we continue to grow, even though it's not growing as fast, but it's still at record level, despite all these economic slowdowns. So I think on the demand side, it seems to be standing there. So that's a good side. And on the supply side, um, just the past few years, we have seen a, a quite a bit of crop loss in many parts of the world. So that keeps stocks pretty tight. So therefore, with demand still holding and supply still uncomfortably tight, so I think that's going to be a sign that we're going to see some of these prices continue to be elevated. It's not going to be what we saw last year right now. I mean, weather pending, you know, weather can always do a lot of change in the ag economy. But but given um, the price where we are today compared to where we were in the 16 to 18 is definitely at, at the, a good level. And also, if you look at from the, the input side, that has came down quite substantially. I mean, there's still some upside pressure because we took away that um, that supply from China and also some from Belarus. So that's going to be um, that supply is shrinking, but and also demand might be coming back this year. But but as it stands today, I think the, the the price is still pretty good from the input side. So I think folks are still making favorable margins. Well, and margins is the key word there because you hear a lot of people say, "Okay, well, my prices are still good, but it costs so much more." It's, you broke down in your some of your research talking about specifics, perhaps it's fertilizer and so forth. Are there any places where you say, "Okay, this is moving back down, but 
well, these are maybe staying steady or moving higher. What do you see as we break some of those inputs down? Yeah, um, I'm not the input expert here, but from what we understand in the market right now, it's been coming down, I think, probably 30 40% from the peak last year. So it, it, it's been coming down, and some of the input actually went back to you know 2021 level. So that's a good level. But if you think on the supply and demand side going forward, you know, last year the price was high, so we saw some demand actually pull back. I think globally we used 8% less global, global, um, fertilizers and input. So we use 8% less going forward. I mean, you can mine the, the soil for so long. So you're probably going to see those demand coming back. And again, high price, care high price. So acreage expansion is probably going to come back too. So those demand sides likely going to see year over year increase. And on the supply side, you know, last year we those supply that was restricted from China changing the restriction on their import on their export for PNK, um, for NNP and also Belarus side, those probably gonna continue. So we might get some good guys that Russian um, export we thought it's gonna be low, but it came out better than expected. So that might be a good guy. But if you look at the balance sheet, I think it's gonna be a little tighter compared to what we have in the past few months. As we think about supply, what about supply chain? Have we gotten through a lot of that, or are there still a lot of bottlenecks that will be out there? Um, I think we have seen substantial increase in that. And we look at, I'll point back to if you want to look at the, the supply chain, global supply chain index um, that was put out by the New York Fed, that has come down. It's in the, probably the best position we had in the last two years. So substantially in, in, improved. We still have some way to go. And um, what we initially worried about what happened in China with the open um, economy reopening, but it seems like the disruption there is not what we expected. It's better than what we expected. So, so I think that's going to help the supply chain side. And and we have seen those um, demand for truck in the U.S. actually lower than the pre-pandemic. So things are moving into direct the right direction. We, we still have some some problems with some parts, but that's really move, really solve, resolving itself. So I think we continue to see um, significant improvement in the past, especially with the demands coming down, slowing down economy in the U.S. I think we continue to see that um, significant improvement in the the, the the few months here. Also on supply side, what about the, the war, Russia and Ukraine? Still a lot of unknowns, but how has that impacted us maybe so far, but also how could it impact us going forward with some of these things with agriculture? Yeah, no, that's a great question. The You know, you look at USDA um, number that Ukraine production and export has been declined between 20 30 percent or maybe even more I, I don't know the, the exact number but but it would be um really difficult to see how those going to come back really fast so i think we might continue to see that restriction on the supply side um in the next um not even just this year, but beyond this year as well. So that's definitely something that that, that we have to keep an eye on. And um, other than that, the continuing be- between um, Ukraine and Russia, we also see their big imp- exporter of other material and chemicals as well. So I think that would continue to be challenging for, for that standpoint. Um, do you see that because we have these conflicts, will that change trade, do you believe? But, you know, is people, countries are kind of lining up on one side or the other. Does that, and, and that's maybe more of a crystal ball question, but it certainly can impact our economy. Yeah, I think it could. Um, but also, if you think about Russians, are this year, Russian wheat exported higher than last year. Okay. Sure. And so a lot of those goes into countries like in Africa, that needs those. So, um, yes, we might see some, some trade reshuffling um, going forward. That would, that would be interesting, and especially with the situation with China. So we, we might see some of those reshuffling going forward, I, I believe so. 
certainly interest rates are on our mind. We look at these continuing to go up. What do we see then, not only this year, but maybe looking on down the road? So if you look at the, um, the, the market expectation, perhaps we're looking at a couple more times of rate hikes in 2023. It might not be as the pace that we had been um, in 2022 there. So per- perhaps a couple more times. And then if the economy is going with the way the Fed is expected, perhaps we'll see that kind of tapering off and have some room for declining in interest rate the second half of the year. I guess the balancing act is, is we raise them just enough to slow things down, but not completely tank things. Is that the idea? That's what we hope so. Yes. But again, if if we see the hard landing, I, many economists do expect to see that to be short-lived and not as deep as what we had experienced in the, the great financial crisis. Well, I know that I saw that in some of the studies you shared that certainly as we came out of 08 and 09, the recovery was long. This time, recovery should be shorter if we have a recovery. We, we would expect so, yes. Okay. Last time it took about six years for the labor market to recover unemployment. So I think this year, if we run into that, that situation, I think it will be a short, more short leave and shallower. As you are talking to farmers, what other risk factors are you sharing with them? What do we need to be aware of that could be happening in the economy? That's a great question. (laughs) I think about inflation and weather quite a bit. Um, Right now, even with the, let's look at the weather first. Right now we have really bad, perhaps some damaged crop in in Argentina and um, really bumper crop in, in Brazil. So we're keeping an eye on that. And then as farmers are thinking about the next season, so um, they still have a long way to go. I think the, the drought map is looking better in the western part of the country. So that what things can really change because given the last three years of crop loss globally, I think it, every year is just another un- very high uncertainty is what we are looking into. On the inflation side, I think this year, With the weather we had so far, that really helped us in the U.S. and also Europeans as well because the weather has been mild. So we keep an eye on winter still have a way to go and to to see how that weather is going to turn out for for the winter, which would impact the energy energy price, which could impact the inflation. So keep an eye on that very closely. Of course, you're working with John Deere, and so I think farmers are always interested, well, what's John Deere see? And I guess that's part of your job is to help them see that. So is it... A, a good picture uh, somewhere in the middle, both here at home, but also globally, because obviously a global company. Um, from the company's standpoint, if you look at our latest um, earnings in the last quarter, we had a really good quarter. The supply chain really helped us be able to deliver and ship out a really big month in, Octo- in October. As we look into 2023, right now our order bank for large equipment, for large ag equipment is full ex- to, to quarter three. And even for the CNF side, the construction and forestry side, those are full to Q2. So definitely we're looking at um, a, a continuing supporting fundamentals, for, especially for the agriculture side. What is it that we as farmers need to be thinking about that we aren't? Because you probably see things that uh, we don't. So what's the message that we need to be thinking about? So maybe I'll refer back to one of my coworkers at John Deere. He said, when you think about technology development... It has never been this fast ever in the history. And looking forward, it would never been this slow again. So I think it's important for us to keep an eye on these technology and these productivities because our, our products continue to add value to our customers, and we will do that through our technology. So definitely, and, and again, it would never be the slow as it has been. So I think that's important for our customers continue to adapt to this new technology and this new environment. We opened up talking about you being from Thailand and about seeing 
you know, still using water buffalo and so forth. I'm curious, you mentioned technology. How fast are we seeing technology being able to be adopted in some of these countries? And then going forward, how does that impact how much food we can grow uh, for a growing population? Um, yes, we, when I went back the last time, we have seen these tractors, even rice combine in the field. And that's over the span of 20 years. I think the labor shortage has becoming another problem and that would be that was in Thailand and that would be here too. So I think with the limited labor in many countries that adoption of technology is gonna have to be there in order to continue to, to grow enough food. And and yeah, I think that's our mission here. We're gonna add another billion people on the planet in, in the next twenty years here. So I think um, with the together with the yield productivities and with our machineries and with the practices, I think we can really help feeding the world. As we look forward to perhaps the next 10 years or so, we see a lot of trends that are already happening. Do those accelerate? Are new trends going to happen? I'm sure you're looking at a lot of those. Yes, I, I would coin the term de-economy from thinking about de-globalization, decarbonization, and demographic, because those are the long-term trends that I think that would change the way we look at things today. Let me start with the first one. De-globalization, we touched on that, some of those. So I think with, with the just-in-time inventory is now moving into just-in-case inventory. In many parts of the world, maybe we move into dual sourcing or onshore nearshoring to be able to be more resilient in supply chain. I think some of the, those trends would continue. And when we think about um, decarbonization, again, this is each of these topics, you can talk about them for hours. I'm just going to touch with the one that probably come to mind more important here from the ag perspective. On the decarbonization, then you look at um, how can biofuel be a part of this decarbonization because they're going to be segments of the transportation sector that's going to be difficult to, to decarbonize, such as the marine or, um, um, or uh, long-haul aviation. So those are going to or off heavy-duty or off-road transportation. So those are going to be something that biofuel can play a big role there. And then finally, demographic. We, in many parts of the world, as I mentioned, we are seeing aging demographic in the U.S., in China, in many developed countries. So how do we do more with the population that we have? How can we continue to increase productivities? And I, I believe that part of that solution is going to be changing and auto, um, changing technology and also automation. Those last two things you mentioned with perhaps automation, but also decarbonization. We hear about sustainability, conservation efforts. And of course, many farmers have been doing some things, a lot of things for a while. How does that trend continue, and how does perhaps deer play into that? Because obviously we have machinery to farm with, so how do we see things changing over the next 10 years in how we farm or how consumers want us to farm? So on the sustainability side, and you know, many of the practices that farmers are doing today are caring and tending for our land and their sustainable practices. So we don't want to discount that. We want the world to know that as well. And um, and there are many companies that put out the ambition, sustainability ambition, and so is John Deere. We have our goal, um, and, and I can provide more detail on that, and you can look at that on our website as well, the goal to be um, sustainable the, um, by 2030. So I think that trend would continue, and, and it is not... It, and also, if you look at the message from the USDA, this is, could be a part of the um, revenue stream for, for our farmers as well. So I, I think this is something that we could um, help embrace and also be able to um, providing additional value to our customers. And to wind up, I think we as farmers are always a little worried about change because we don't know what's coming. But uh, should we be positive about what's going on and how do we stay on the positive side of change then moving forward? 
Um, I am pos- I am optimistic about the agriculture. I believe that we are a part of the solution to um, the new way we're going to be living, especially when it comes to decarbonization and sustainability. There are many, many things that we can do, so I am optimistic about that. Thank you very much for the time. I appreciate it. Thank you, Andrew. Nice talking to you today. I appreciate Yaya's time and her perspective from the Director of Corporate Economics at John Deere and what she foresees this year for the global economy and specifically what we can expect in the ag sector. Thanks for listening to this week's show. Remember, you can follow Farm in the Countryside on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Just type Farm in the Countryside. We're using those media platforms to share more during the week. And you can hear these shows in a variety of ways as well at farmintheCountryside.com, on many local radio stations, or on your favorite podcast platform. If you miss one of our shows, it's easy to find it at farmintheCountryside.com or on one of those podcast platforms. I always try to share a variety of topics, and in many cases, the information from our guests is helpful when I search for it long after we've completed the interview. So be sure to search the archives for stories of interest. And don't forget, you can follow our daily show, American Countryside, on over 100 local radio stations at AmericanCountryside.com and see bonus coverage by following American Countryside on Facebook. Plus, we have TotalTownMakeover.com, where we post stories about revitalizing small towns and rural America. You can connect with us on many of those platforms as well, so let me know of topic ideas and guests you'd like to hear in the future. I appreciate you joining me. I'm Andrew McRae. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. This edition of Farming the Countryside has been brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Turn to a better nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com.